They used to say the sun never sets on the British Empire. Think about that. The sun never sets on the British Empire. Throughout history, Britain has claimed territory on every continent of the world, even Antarctica. It's remarkable to think that such a small country has had so much influence across the globe that it could be said literally that it's always daytime somewhere Britain rules. This expansion was incredibly beneficial to the British economy, but it came at incredible cost to the people whose land they stole. Untextbook producer Hassan Javid comes from a family that experienced the violence of British colonialism firsthand. His grandparents grew up in India during a period known as the British Raj. Hassan grew up hearing stories from his grandparents about how cruelty and humiliation were a part of daily life for many Indians living in British India. The collective theme was to kind of like reduce the Indian to develop this internal like realization that he is subpar to the British. Growing up, Hassan loved learning history. And by the time he got to middle school, he was excited to find out that he'd be learning about British colonialism. He'd always wanted to get more context to the stories his grandparents told him. But he was surprised that the perspective of his history book was very different from the perspective of his family. So the very few sentences that I encountered about British colonialism in South Asia was talking about how colonialism was the best thing to happen in that region. And I, as the descendant of someone who has generational trauma from partition, the responsibility is on me to challenge these pathways of history to make them more representative of my history. He went looking for more information and found the work of British historian John Newsinger, who wrote the book The Blood Never Dried, A People's History of the British Empire. The book makes the case that vast empires are inherently criminal and that Britain's was one of the worst. On this episode of Untextbooked, Hassan interviews John Newsinger about the Jallianwala Bog massacre of 1919, in which hundreds of unarmed protesters were shot and killed by the British army. Please note, this episode contains descriptions of violence. I'm Gabe Hostin, and this is on Textbooked. On Textbooked. Uh, would you mind describing Jallianwala Bagh just for the people who don't entirely know about it, perhaps from the context of someone who was attending? It, it's very interesting because you had a peaceful demonstration. Um, people went there uh, to demonstrate their opposition to what the British were doing. It's banned, but they decide to go ahead in defiance of the ban. People didn't go there looking for a fight, but as a family occasion, husbands, wives, brothers and sisters, um, and people took their children. But the British policy was to respond with maximum force for really any challenge. And this, this, what one historian has described it as a massacre by firing squad. They opened fire without warning uh, and they fire for 10 minutes, even though they're firing on people who are running for their lives. Uh, they march back to barracks uh, and they imposed a curfew. So the dead and dying were left there on the ground uh, in their pain and their agony. And, and all this was intended really to show 
the Indian population what the British were capable of so that they wouldn't dare try to take on the British. And you know, the, the torture uh, and the brutality that was meted out on those people who were uh, rounded up after the massacre, this was something routine in just about every British colony. And one, one of the men who went out to India um, in the 20s to serve as a policeman uh, was George Orwell, the writer. And he, he says that uh, what the empire seemed to be to him was a policeman holding the native down while the businessman went through his pockets. This was the essence of empire. Why are these truths about the British Empire kept from our history curriculum? Uh, and to give a little bit of context, my family had come from Pakistan with my grandparents being survivors from the partition. And I came to like an American middle school and an American high school. I was very disappointed in the history curriculum itself. Most of the mention was, oh, the British Empire was this amazing place that modernized, quote unquote, their empires through railways and telegraph lines and perhaps their was a sentence or two towards the end that says the British Empire is also responsible for massacres. So why are these truths about the British Empire that you've shared with us today kept from our history curriculums? I, I always use this as an example. If you take the Bengal famine of 1943-44, the famine cost the lives of between three and five million people, and yet you can look at any number of histories of the British Empire, and it will either not be mentioned at all, or it will be mentioned in passing. Uh, and I, I think this, this is very telling, partly because quite often the people who don't mention it are good historians. But to deal with the Bengal famine seriously, I think makes it impossible to consider the British Empire as a benign institution. I think the key to it is that the people who still run Britain are very much the descendants of the people who ran the empire and the history they want people to be taught and people to accept as the truth is the history that the empire was a great thing, that the people who ran it were great people uh, and I suppose what they hope follows on from that is that everyone will be quite happy uh, with these people still running things. What One thing I always do, if I give talks on the empire, one thing I always recommend is that people think of how they would feel if a foreign country treated Britain like we had treated them. And the best example is China. I mean, one of the interesting, if I could just go off the point for a moment, one of the interesting things is that um, the, the Opium Wars are more or less written out of the British history books. Queen Victoria presided over um, a massive drug trafficking regime um, in the 19th century that uh, is without parallel. Uh, and this is something that is not acknowledged. Um, imagine if the Chinese government in the 1830s had been shipping a couple of thousand tons of opium to Britain and that Britain had been filled with opium addicts. And when the British government tried to put a stop to this, the Chinese had sent their army and their navy, killed thousands of British soldiers and civilians, 
uh, in order to force the trade on the country and had then seized a chunk of Britain, say, for example, Liverpool as the equivalent of Hong Kong, uh, and that in Liverpool you actually had parks, for example, that said no British, no dogs allowed, which is what we did in Hong Kong in the 19th century. Um, this would be something that British people would never forgive. They would never forgive it. Not only that, but there was a second opium war, uh, and in the Second Opium War, um, the British occupied Beijing and burned down the, uh, the Summer Palace. If that had happened to Britain, it would have involved Chinese troops seizing London and burning down Buckingham Palace. And once again, this would be something that British people would never forget and would never forgive. And the fact of the matter is that you can be pretty certain that 90 9% of the British population have no idea that this history took place. And now I, I ask you, with all of this mention, with mentions of the Opium War and, and the aggressions that Britain did against China and India and anywhere where it had colonies, um, what do you believe effective and meaningful reparations to its former colonies would look like by Britain? I think the first the first thing that um, you would have to consider is where the money went that was made from these crimes. Um, when it comes to the money made from something like the opium trade, there's no doubt that many of the families um, of the traders involved are still very rich people. The Jardine Matheson Company uh, still operates, for example, um, even though it has that dreadful past. Uh, when it comes to uh, the exploitation of uh, India, when it comes to the exploitation of every territory that the British seize um, in uh, in Africa, um, the, the, the crimes are enormous. Um, and to be honest, I do not know how you could begin um, to pay compensation um, unless the world was very radically changed. All empires are criminal endeavors, I, I would say. The, the reparations are certainly necessary, but we would need to see a whole different political and economic system before they would take place. But one would like to think that someday a more just international system uh, would see the countries that benefited from empire actually being prepared to pour resources uh, in, into helping the countries they exploited. What can we learn from your experience reconciling with your nation's history that we as Americans can carry on to our nation's history as an empire? Um, well, first thing, let me say that I think any, any serious view of an empire has to have three parts. First of all, um, it has to look at the crimes of empire. Secondly, what it has to look at is the way the indigenous population resisted. Um, and this resistance can take many, many forms, from uh, passive resistance to um, you know, revolutionary resistance and whatever. But the third thing I think that always has to be borne in mind as well is that in the homeland, if you like, there have been people who have opposed the empire. A lot of people opposed its excesses, but some people opposed it root and branch. Um, so, you know, there has always been opposition. Quite often, you know, they paid a price for um, their opposition. 
Um, but even even in recent years, terrible things have been done. Terrible things still are being done. Um, and, uh, you know, I think you're quite right about reparations being necessary. Um, but as, as I said before, this requires um, a political, social, and I suppose you could almost say ideological and cultural shake-up um, that, that we've still got to go through. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate you for all of the time and the knowledge that you've given us today. Uh, John Newsinger is the author of The Blood Never Dried, A People's History of the British Empire. John, where can people find you online if they have more questions about your work? I'm afraid I'm too old to have an online presence. Google. But if you Google me, yes. Um, I, I would say as well, I've also written a book about um, America in the 1930s called Fighting Back which uh, if I think is pretty good. I think it's pretty good. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for asking me, Hassan. John Newsinger is an author and historian based in the UK. Hassan Javed is a freshman at Columbia University, and he produced this episode. Our music is by Silas Bowen and Coleman Hamilton, who are a senior and recent graduate of Walnut Hill School for the Arts in Massachusetts. Untextbook is edited by Bethany Denton and Jeff Entman. Fernand Rain is our only friend. You know, it takes a lot of work to make this show, and we need your help to keep bringing you great interviews like this one. Go to untextbook.com and click support. Your donation will make a big difference. Untextbook is a project of Got History, an organization that believes in a world where all young people can advance civic well-being for themselves, society, and the planet.